Well, good morning, church family. It's already been a good day in the house of the Lord today, and I'm excited to be able to open up God's Word with you uh, this morning. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to continue in our series uh, that we've been working through in recent weeks, uh, entitled 12 Essential Conversations That Every Parent Needs to Have. We have this Sunday and next Sunday. We will wrap up that series. We hope it's been a blessing to you. If you're just joining us uh, today, you can go online or go to our podcast, and you can uh, pick up on where we've been thus far, but essentially what we've done is we've gone back uh, to Genesis and we've looked at some things that are essential inside of God's design uh, that are necessary for a biblical worldview in our present day simply because our children, the next generation, are under such an attack against things that are outside, such an attack uh, to deny things that are clearly inside of God's uh, design. And so what we're hoping is we're praying is that this is just a helpful series to start putting some bullets in the guns of parents to be able uh, to help implement some of these truths in their homes. But then ultimately, we're going to take some of these truths and we're going to hopefully develop some material to be able to continue on uh, equipping our parents in the days ahead. But what we did this morning is such a beautiful thing in seeing parents that are dedicated to raising their children in a God-honoring way. So before we, though, jump into God's Word this morning, one more thing I want to say about Mother's Day today as I pray and we open up the Scriptures. You know, Mother's Day is a great day of celebration for so many people, but it is also a very hard day for a lot of people. Today is a hard day for those who have had to say goodbye to mamas, uh, mamas who are in heaven today. Today is a hard day for mamas who have children in heaven today. And today is a hard day for those ladies and even uh, men who desired to have children. But for some reason, uh, inside of God's plan and sovereignty beyond what we understand is that that's not been possible. And so we just want to let you know today that we see you and that God sees you. And I just want to take a moment as your pastor, or maybe you're just a visitor today, but just as a pastor, to pray God's hand upon your heavy hearts today. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment, I'm going to say this. If you say, Pastor Zach, today, my heart is heavy, would you just raise your hand? Nobody's looking around this morning. Amen. Let me pray. Father, you see each and every one of those hands here today. And that, God, their pain, Lord, you feel. God, I pray in Jesus' name this morning, Lord, that your word says that in Psalms 121, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from where comes my help. My help comes from the Lord. God, I pray that you would give help this morning. God, I pray you'd give help to those who are grieving. God, help them to grieve. But in Jesus, Lord, also to grieve and hope. Lord, I pray that heaven would seem nearer today than maybe they've ever felt before. And that, God, the reality of one day getting to see loved ones again. God, we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for that promise for those who are in Jesus. And, God, for those this morning, Lord, who desired children, but it doesn't appear to be your plan or it hasn't manifested its way in that way yet, God, I would pray first and foremost that you would just be very near to that real loss, God. And, And, Father, I pray, Lord, even today, just in a supernatural way, God, would you open wounds this morning. Uh, Father, would you do the miraculous, but, God, would you sustain hearts, I pray. Oh, God, I pray. Lord, would you be near today? Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Now today, we're going to pick up where we've left off uh, in the book of Genesis, but we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 3, right at the beginning. Uh, where we left off was God had created all things. Adam and Eve had just been married, and they were living and working inside the garden, honoring God. And then we come to Genesis chapter 3. So look with me, beginning at verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from the tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to the husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Then he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said to the, uh, said to the woman, you gave me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. This is the classic Genesis 3, pass the buck right here. Did you eat? No. Hey, that woman you gave me, she's the one who gave it to him here. And then the woman does the same thing. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I Eight. And we'll pause there this morning. There's a lot going on here in this text, but essentially Genesis chapter 3 records for us the fall of humanity. This is where sin entered the world. Matthew Henry, the great theologian, made this statement. He said, here the whole creation was all good, very good, but here the scene is altered. Here we have an account of the sin and misery of our first parents, the wrath and the curse of God against them, the peace of the creation disturbed, and its beauty stained and sullied, all bad, very bad. Now in light of this passage today, we're going to find two of our central conversations that we must have with the next generation, and they are this. First, we have to have the conversation with the next generation that sin is the cause of all brokenness, in the world. And then secondly, we have to have the conversation that all humanity is sinful before God. Now, I will say when we planned out this sermon series, I was not quite aware that we would be talking about this on Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day. You're all a bunch of sinners, okay? So, but it is important for us to deal with this topic today. So like we have done in recent weeks, I'm going to answer three questions and attempt to help us have this conversation with the next generation, but then even that's important for it to be ingrained in our souls today. So the first question is this, where do we see the sinfulness of humanity and the brokenness among humanity as a result of sin in the scriptures? Now, as we've covered in previous messages in this series, the truth is, is that before we can even really truly have this conversation about the sinfulness of humanity and its effects on the world, we must first establish the fact that among our children that there is one true God and that He has a standard of right and wrong in the world and that anything outside of that standard is considered sin. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, but we need to reiterate it here this morning. We have to make sure that our children know at an early age that there is a holy God and He is the judge of all the earth. 
that he does have a standard of right and wrong. This is the foundation of them truly being able to walk with God because it will ultimately point them to a Savior. We always love to hear and think about uh, the things that happen, big revivals among the next generation of the past. We think about things like the Great Awakening, where revival was happening and thousands upon thousands were being saved. The majority of those in that moment were among the next generation in that time. And we love to hear those stories, but the reality is, is that often we don't focus on the sermons of those seasons or sermons like Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. The reality was is that revival took place after the acknowledgement that people knew that they were far from God and that they needed a Savior. And so we won't go into that this morning, but remember that's the first thing that we have to do among the next generation. We can't talk about sin without first talking about God and His standard. But that being said, let me give you two truths today about how we understand humanity is sinful and how sin is the cause of brokenness in the world. First, the Bible makes it clear that all humanity is sinful. Here in Genesis chapter 3, we see sin entering the world through the rebellion of Adam and Eve. But sin and sinfulness among God's people did not stop there, but it only began there. And the scriptures over and over again give us examples where we know as a people that we are a sinful people. Let me give you a few of those reasons. First, we know that all humanity is sinful because the Bible proclaims it. If the Bible makes anything clear, it's that humanity is sinful. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, the Bible speaks about the sacrifice of Jesus and who He was sacrificing His life for. It says, And He Himself is a propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means He took the wrath for our sins. And He says, And not for ours only, but for those of the whole world. The gospel message itself reminds us that Jesus came to give his life for the whole world because the whole world is sinful. Parents, we must teach our children that even though our present world hates making statements about definitive right and wrong, and even though our, the world around us would recoil at using language like sin, the truth is, is that you cannot have a biblical worldview and not believe that everyone is sinful in the eyes of God. So see, the Bible proclaims it. Secondly, we know that all humanity is sinful because our sinful nature predetermines it. As we see here in Genesis chapter 3, the first sin, when, first, when sin first entered the world through Adam and Eve, the truth is, is that all humanity, including us here today as descendants of Adam and Eve, that we have inherited a sinful nature from our greatest grandparents in Adam and Eve. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it shows us how Adam's sinful nature has been passed down to us in all humanity. It says, Therefore, just as through one man's sin, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread like a virus, like a disease, spread to all men because all have sinned. See, the Bible says that sin doesn't come from without. Sin comes from within. We usually tend to think about sinfulness as those times when we make a mistake. We kind of let the bad in. But the truth is the Bible says that sinfulness comes from within, not from without. Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, verse 21, he spoke of our sinful nature. And this is what Jesus said. Which, by the way, Jesus spoke a lot more about sin than what people will care to admit. It says, from within, out of the heart of man, proceed the evil thoughts... 
fornications, thefts, murders, and adultery. Jesus said it is out of the heart of man that we sin and do things that are outside of God's design. According to Scripture, the issue is not that humanity is good, but we will occasionally sin. But the reality is, is that the Scripture says that man is inherently bad that will occasionally, by the grace of God, do things that are good in his eyes. The picture we get from inherited sin and Adam's sin is similar to genetics. It's, we understand you can see it even in some of these babies who are here this morning. You can go ahead and tell some of them they look just like their mama or they look just like their dad. It is built in their genetics. What's in their parents has been passed down to the children. Now, the genetics of Renos are pretty distinct. We are short and wide people, okay? That's just kind of the way that we work out to be. But I remember when we adopted our son, Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is absolutely my son. It's a beautiful picture of the grace of God. But genetically, he's different. And I remember very early on as I was changing his diaper one day, right not, not long uh, after we'd adopted him, and he kind of laughed. And when he laughed, his ab muscles flexed, and you could count every ab in his belly. And I remember looking at him and saying, Buddy, you may be the first Reno to ever have those, okay? And the truth is, is that just like genetics are passed down, a sinful nature is passed down to us. It's in us. It's who we are. And thirdly, we know that all humanity is sinful because our actions prove it. If we're honest here today, even among some of the most disciplined Christian lives, we know that we don't have to go very far in our minds and in our hearts to find sinfulness in our everyday lives. Just this past week as I was going before the Lord and trying to, trying to confess, and I was trying to think of things that I've done recently. And honestly, I was, I was kind of coming up short. And I was like, well, Holy Spirit, am I doing okay? And the Holy Spirit very clearly reminded me, it's not just sin, it's not just the things that I do, but sin are also the things that I don't do. The sins of omission. What should I be doing? And very clearly, the Holy Spirit started to remind me of my sin and the areas where I fall. In fact, the Bible makes it so clear that we're sinful that it even says that we're liars if we say that we're not. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Pastor Adrian Rogers, the great pastor there in Memphis, made this statement one time. He said, I wouldn't trust my two best minutes in this life to get me into heaven. I'm a sinner that needs Jesus. And so when we look at the Scriptures, the Scriptures clearly show us that we are sinful. But secondly, the Bible also makes it clear that the brokenness we experience in this world finds its birth, finds its beginning at sin. As Matthew Henry said in Genesis chapter 3, we see where all of God's creation was stained, was broken when Adam and Eve sinned against God. A biblical worldview claims that this moment is where all sin and brokenness entered the world. This is where it started. It's like how an Amazon truck may use different shipping carriers to bring their packages, but ultimately they're all loaded up at the same distribution point. The truth is, is that brokenness may manifest it in our, in, in our lives in different ways, but all that brokenness got loaded up on the truck in Genesis chapter 3 when sin entered the world. And so let me give you a few ways that we can trace sin and brokenness back, to, how we can, we can trace brokenness Back to sin. First, we can see from the scriptures that the first onset of sin and brokenness in the world was a simultaneous event. Essentially, the first place we see brokenness was just after sin, at the same time of sin. The Bible says that after Adam and Eve disobeyed God, that some of the consequences immediately after 
were new, were, un, were unnormal in the garden, and they were actions of brokenness. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, the Bible says that when they took of the fruit, they felt shame because they were naked. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, the Bible says they hid from God. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, the Bible says that they were afraid of God. Where were you? And he says that we hid from you because we were afraid. Here in the garden, immediately after sin entered the world, we see shame, distance from God, revelation of sin and fear, all things that were outside of God's design. All things that we would understand are areas of brokenness. Just like we see in Genesis chapter 3, brokenness always follows sin, and that is still true today. So we see that it was a simultaneous event. Secondly, we see from the Scriptures that some of the brokenness in, the, in this world is a direct result of the sentence that God gave humanity for His sin. Again, it started in Genesis 3, but some of the brokenness we experience is part of the consequences that God gave humanity. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 through 24, we won't read it all, but after Adam and Eve fell is that God had to give some consequences to Adam and Eve to discipline them because of their sin. Now, we'll say this. Even these consequences are a grace from God because they're perpetually meant to show us how desperate we are and how much we need God. But they do still manifest in our life as brokenness. In verse 16, God sentenced women to the perpetual pain of childbirth because of sin. Now, women, I know that it's a bummer on Mother's Day, but prior to sin, childbirth, pregnancy, and very likely even every female issue that was not painful was not painful or even a hassle prior to sin. Does that not make you want to go punch Eve in the face? Okay, right there. It's true. In verse 17, we see that God cursed the ground because of sin. The word ground in the Hebrew can just mean the dirt, but it can also mean the entire earth. And in Romans chapter 8, the Bible affirms this idea that the earth was cursed when sin entered the world. It's not unreasonable to assume that sin and the curse is the result of things like hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, droughts, and all other negative expressions of creation since they were not present prior to sin. In verses 18 through 19, we see God continued the consequence of the curse of the ground, meaning that now man would have to work and his work would be difficult. Now, we said this earlier in the series. Work is not a consequence of sin. Work is always part of God's design. But the toilsome action of work became a reality because of sin. The Bible says in there in verses 18 and 19, God said, "...both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field." And by the sweat of your face you will eat bread. But in verse 19, we see the greatest consequence of sin, which was death. The Bible says that Adam, that God looks at Adam and Eve and says, For you are dust, and from the dust you shall return. This was a sentence. This was a judgment. For just as God had told Adam in Genesis 2, 17, that if he ever ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that he would die here in Genesis 3, that's exactly what took place once he ate from it. In this moment, man began to die. And ultimately, now, according to Romans chapter 5 that we talked about earlier, that sting of death has continued to spread throughout the descendants of Adam and Eve, which is us here today. We experience death today because of Genesis 3. Now, I say this at every funeral I conduct, that death was never part of God's design. But it's just a consequence of sin. 
All sickness, all cancer, every miscarriage, every tragic accident, every moment of grief and mourning is all because of sin. And it finds its beginning here at the first sin. When we experience the sting of death in these situations, sometimes we want to wonder, who do we blame for this? Inside of God's design, we cry out for justice and we want to know that. Well, I would say, first and foremost, we must blame Adam. Because we dare not blame God because he chose death to be a consequence for sin. Because God is holy and in his holiness and in his judgments, they are always right and good. However... We must also know that this doesn't mean that God loves death. In fact, the Bible makes it clear that God hates death. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Bible says that death is God's enemy and one day it will finally be defeated. When we experience death in the world, in most cases, it is not because of anyone's direct fault. In most cases, people don't get cancer because they've sinned. They don't struggle with fertility because they aren't right with God or other situations like this. In most cases, brokenness that we deal with in this world is just the result of the overall consequence of sin that we live in a world in which we have inherited from Adam. But when we deal with brokenness, that is no direct fault of our own. We must also be careful not to say, Well, God, that's not fair that I have to suffer because of the sin that someone else committed. Speaking of Adam and Eve. Because in truth... All of us have done no better concerning holiness before God than Adam and Eve did. And in our worst moments, God is still more gracious to us than we deserve. But the truth is, we do see that some of that brokenness is part of sin. And can I just say this real quick? Again, brokenness pointing us back to God. Every time we grow up in a world where the weather is crazy, where work is hard, where we have to deal with the reality that one day we're going to die, all of these things are grace from God, even though they're broken, because they're meant to point us back to the fact that I need God. In my sinful state, God built in some consequences that point me to the fact that I need Him. Thirdly, we can see from the Scriptures that some of the brokenness in the world that we experience is the consequences of self-initiated sinful decisions on ourselves and others. Some of the brokenness that we experience in this life is the brokenness that we bring upon ourselves through sinful actions or that we put upon others through our sinful actions. We talked about this just a few weeks ago and our decisions and our decisions have consequences. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, it speaks about how sexual sin can bring consequences on your own body. We know that to be true with so many other sins. We see drunkenness can bring consequences on your own body. We can see greed and materialism can bring consequences on yourself and dad and so many other things. Some sinful decisions affect us directly, but then other sinful decisions bring brokenness to others. In Romans chapter 1, verses 29 through 31, Paul speaks about some of the, the actions of a sinful life. And he mentions murder, strife, deceit, malice, People being gossips, we see these are things that bring brokenness to the lives of others. So much of the brokenness we see in the world today can't be blamed on Adam alone. Adam bears the guilt of bringing us the sinful nature, but we bear the guilt of the decisions and the consequences we reap in it. So some of the brokenness we bring on ourselves. Fourthly, we see from the Scriptures that some of the brokenness in this this world is the result of sinful people being under the authority of of Satan. The Bible makes it clear that the goal of Satan is to steal, kill, and destroy. 
And the Bible also makes it clear that if we are not under the lordship of Jesus Christ, that we are temporarily under the authority of darkness and of Satan himself. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says this, And you are dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Now listen to this. According to the spirit, according to the prince of the power of the air. Speaking of Satan, the prince of the power of the air. Of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Church family, I have seen the aftermath of Satan at work in the lives of people. Often it comes in the form of brokenness because people give into the wooing and the temptations of the enemy. The enemy is tempting people towards certain things. And once they partake of that, the aftermath is brokenness. In fact, the common denominator of all, bro- of all temptation of the enemy leads to brokenness. I remember hearing R.G. Lee preach a sermon one time about being called to the hospital in New Orleans while he was pastoring First Baptist Church New Orleans. He went there to see a man who was on his deathbed by some disease. Uh, very likely it was AIDS or something that was unidentifiable at, uh, identifiable at that time. Uh, But he came expecting that the man was wanting to receive the grace of Jesus before he died. But in fact, he found a very militant, angry man who didn't really want to hear any of his uh, concerns, hear the gospel at all. And he said, well, young man, why did you call me here? And he said, because I know that you have a large platform and people hear you a lot. And I've done everything that you could possibly do against God. And here I am on my deathbed. And I want you to go back and tell them all that the devil pays in counterfeit money. Our sinful decisions and even the ability to let Satan have authority. And by the way, you don't choose that today. I'm going to turn this microphone off, guys, and can use this mic right here. We go. Uh, we don't make a decision whether or not to be under Satan's authority. We are born into that until we give our lives to the Lord Jesus. In fact, fifthly, we see from the scriptures that some of the brokenness in the world is a result of, the, of sin because we have been separated from God. In the latter part of Genesis 3, we see one more consequence of sin from Adam and Eve. And that was ultimately when sin entered the world, the Bible says that they had to be separated from God. In Genesis 3, verses 23 and 24, it says, Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. The ideal was because God was holy. Man could no longer live in the presence of God. And this is, brings brokenness. It's actually the reason why so many people feel unsatisfied in this world. They feel like something is missing in this world. Everything in their world may be going well. They have beautiful kids. They've got a great job. They've got money in the bank. Everything seems great, but there's still something missing within them. There's some brokenness, some loneliness within them. And what is that? It's because they're separated from God. But then finally... We can see from the scriptures, and this is a great grace, that even though we experience the brokenness in this world, we can know that God is still in control and is working His purposes through brokenness in some way in His sovereignty. Yes, the brokenness in this world is because of sin, and that is outside of God's design. However, in some way that is beyond our understanding, God is still working His purposes in our brokenness. Isn't that good to know today? I think about Joseph. When Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, we see in Genesis, early part of Genesis, this was not inside of God's design. That was sin against their brother. But ultimately, 
God continued to raise Joseph up, was working a plan through him till he was second in command of all of Egypt. And because of his position and the drought and famine in the land, he was going to be able to save all of his people. And though his brothers sinned against him, when he got to face his brothers years later, this is what he said to his brothers in Genesis 50 verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Their sin was still their sin. God didn't didn't cause that to happen. His brothers had to stand before God on that. But God was still working his plan through it. God has a way of bringing beauty in our brokenness. God has a way of bringing purpose to our pain. God has a way of bringing ministry to our misery. Church family, this is important to know because as we raise our children in the midst of a broken world, we can look at them and say, yes, you may be in a fearful situation. Yes, this may be unfair, but God is still working His plan and His purposes. So we see from Scripture clearly that man is sinful and that sin is the cause of brokenness in the world. But hear this today. God is not separate from you in brokenness. God is working His plan in the lives of His children even in the midst of brokenness, you are not outside of his control. Question number two, where do we see that, that humanity is sinful and that sin is the cause of brokenness in our world today? Again, this is important to be able to point our children in all of these discussions. Where do we see this, not just in the scriptures, where do we see God's design? Where do we see the things that are affirmed in scripture in the world around us? And so when it comes to man being sinful and the brokenness of our world being due to sin, we see it a couple different places. Let me Let me share those with you. First, we see the sinfulness of humanity in our world through our children. Okay? Now that, again, it's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. You gave birth to sinful kids. Anyway, so the Bible makes it very clear that we carry a sin nature in this world from the moment we enter this world. Now, yes, I absolutely believe that God's grace covers our children and their sinfulness until that point where they can understand the reality of sinfulness and where they are before God. But the truth is, is that when we see our children, before they have an awareness of the world around them, we can see our children's sinful nature in an unbridled way. Our children can say and do the absolute most hateful things in the world to us. They can bite us. They can curse us. They can yell at us. They can kick and scream. And if you don't believe that, you're welcome to go volunteer in the preschool class next Sunday. We see it on a regular basis. Let me tell you why we see that. We don't have to train our children to do bad. That happens naturally. We have to train them to do good. And it's a testimony to our sinful nature. I remember Kimberly and I, we had our little Ella. She was two years old. And uh, one day, we're just kind of a Saturday, we're hanging around the house, and we're, Kimberly and I are laying on the couch, and we just looked up and said, where, where, her nickname's Beetle, where's Beetle? And we got up and started, Beetle, started calling for her, and I think she's playing a hide-and-seek game with us, you know, so we start looking around, looking around, it didn't get funny anymore, we started yelling for her, she's still not coming out, and we kind of start to panic, where did she go, what's going on, and then we look up, and randomly, our laundry room door is closed, and it's never closed. We open up the laundry room door and she is shocked. She's startled because she has the kitchen scissors and she is giving her Barbie a flat top, okay? Now, here's the truth. She knew she was wrong. We didn't have to train her to hide. We didn't have to train her to kind of be deceptive. We didn't have to train her to not answer our calls in the same way Adam and Eve didn't want to answer the calls from God in Genesis 3. Where was that? That's a sinful nature. And we see it inside of all children. 
Church, in our world today, as much as we try to celebrate that all people are mostly good, our children in their most raw state show us that we are sinners first. Secondly, we see that the sinfulness of humanity and our consistency to fail. Think about this. Every good action that's honoring to God is hard for us to do. I mean, it could be you're trying to honor God in your physical body, so you're trying to get healthy. How hard is that? It could be you're trying to to, to do well with your money and your finances and honor God. God, The enemy always tries to make that hard when you're wanting to to give your tithes to the Lord. And by the way, let me say this. When you do finally do that, you'll recognize that the enemy's a liar and you can live longer off the 90 than you ever could off the 100. It's amazing how God steps into that. But so many other areas, how God does that. Let me give you another example of that. The vast majority of the laws of our land have been on the books for almost 200 years. But yet our prisons are still full. We have 200 years of people recognizing this is wrong. If you do this, you will be sentenced to this. You commit this crime, you'll pay this sentence. And we see it over and over again. Hundreds of years of examples of that. But yet our, our, our prisons are still full. And why is that? Because sin defies logic. One theologian said sin at its core is foolishness. And the only reason we continue to sin is because we have a sinful nature. And thirdly, when it comes to brokenness in the world, the greatest way we see sinfulness as the cause of brokenness is that we haven't been able to cure it. Now, you can call, you, you can call sin whatever you want to in the world. A lot of times the world doesn't want to refer to it as sin. It's just crime or unhealthy behaviors. But whatever the effect may be, we all in society recognize that the results of sin, the brokenness that comes from sin is good, is bad, and nobody wants that. Nobody in society wants the results of sin in our, in our world today. And so what we try to do is we try to find ways to fix that, to fix brokenness in our world, to stop certain behaviors that leads to brokenness, and every attempt has failed. We try politically to, to cure injustice and inequality in governments, but it still exists. In fact, no government has ever been able to eradicate the brokenness of lawlessness and all government has to deal with criminals. We try medically to cure sickness. And even though we have advancement in medicine, which are gifts from God, by the way, new viruses and diseases appear every year. And at this point in human history, regardless of what level of medical care you receive, 100% of people will die one day. We try socially to cure ill treatment of others. We give more education, more national holidays, more months of of separating, of showing people that there's certain types of social ills that shouldn't be tolerated, reporting and training. But parents still abuse children. Bullying still happens and racism still exists. We try emotionally to cure fear, depression, loneliness with everything from medication to counseling to prevention lines. And while God uses those things to a point, the reality is is that we still see mental health problems rising in our world. We try logically to explain events that happen in our world, but in situations where we find children being abused, mass shootings taking place, and then even in seemingly educated and civilized nations of the world like Russia invading and killing thousands of their neighbors in the Ukraine for no good reason at all, you find people not being able to have the words to explain it. You find secular people looking for spiritual answers. They use terms like, it's just evil. Or even terms like it's demonic. Ultimately, we see that even our greatest intelligence 
of our world today, we've not been able to replace God and tamp down sin. In fact, our attempts to cure and fix, fix brokenness in the world itself is a testimony to the reality of God. C.S. Lewis spoke about how the reality of brokenness in the world was actually a truth that helped him turn to God. This is what he said. My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I gotten the idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? If the whole show was bad and senseless from A to Z, so to speak of, why did I, who was supposed to be part of the show, find myself in such a violent reaction against it? C.S. Lewis said, the reality that I understood that brokenness existed in a world in which brokenness has always existed was something in me crying out, there's got to be something better to this. There's got to be something different. And what is that? It's the reality of God. And we can't cure that any other means. At this point, at maybe the peak of human society, we have done virtually nothing to eradicate brokenness. We shift it around. But it still exists. And the problem is, is that humanity can never replace God. And finally, question number three. Why do we need to teach our children that humanity is sinful and that sin is the cause of brokenness in our world today? Let me give you a few of these as we prepare to close. First, we must teach our children about sinfulness in themselves to point them to their need for Jesus. Church family, as we talk about parenting, as we do parent dedication here today, we all have dreams for our children. That's a good thing. We want them to, to grow up and be healthy. We want them to enjoy life. We want them to have fun. We want them to, to, to get married and have good jobs. We want them to go to school and get educated. And there's, there's nothing essentially wrong in those things. But hear me this morning, parents. The greatest responsibility you have as a godly mother and father, the greatest responsibility you have as a grandparent today is not that your children will be the most athletic, not not that they would be the most popular, not that everything in their world would be great and that they have lived this world with the least amount of discomfort possible. The greatest lesson you can teach their children, your children is that they need Jesus today. Parents, if you always see your children as innocent darlings, then you will very likely one day be deceived by them. But more dreadfully, you will live without the sense of urgency that is needed to share Jesus with them. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 says, This is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners and parents. Jesus came to die for sinners, and that includes our kids. What's the best thing you can do for that is to pray for your kids. Romans chapter 10, verse 1 says, my prayer and desire for them is for their salvation. Pray that your children would come to know Christ at an early age and then proclaim the gospel to them. When they sin, when they fall, tell them, yes, not just that that grieves your heart, but that grieves the heart of God. And it's why you need Jesus. Point them to a Savior. Also, we must teach our children about sin and sinfulness in the world to protect them from potential harm. As Christians, we're always called to love people. But we're also called to be as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves. If we send our children into a world where they think that everyone is mostly good without a sinful nature, they can end up in very dangerous situations. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times 
when sending our children to dangerous situations is worth it. If God is calling you to send your children, I pray he does one day, to the nations for the sake of the gospel, to go share Jesus with them or move to an inner city to, to dangerous areas to go share Jesus with them. That's a risk that is worth it. But we're not called to send our children aimlessly into a dangerous world, not prepare them that the world is sinful for no reason at all. Thirdly, we must teach our children about sinfulness in the world to give them perspective as they contemplate the world. Our children will face the major questions in this life that we all have to work out in our hearts and minds. Why does war exist? Why do people hurt other people? Why do some people get sick and other people do not? Why does tragedy happen to some people and others it doesn't? These are all very hard questions and honestly only a biblical worldview that explains sin and brokenness and the fall of man can fully answer these questions. The biblical worldview is the best perspective that we can give our kids. But lastly, this morning I'm going to ask Brother Ron to come. We must teach our children about sinfulness in the world ultimately to give them peace. We've got to be able to Let our children know that, yes, there's sinfulness in the world, but if we teach them about a God who loves them, we can let them know that God is still in control. Yes, you live in a broken world, but God still sees you, and God is still more powerful, and God is still able to meet with you right in the middle of your brokenness. God is still in control. The peace to know that God is working His purpose even in our pain. Our children are going to face the pain of this world and it's important for you to know as a Christian mother and father to be able to look at them and say, yes, we are going through a painful and difficult situation, but God has not abandoned us. He sees us. He is with us. Let me say something to you this morning, family. The way that you endure pain in the face of your children will ultimately be one of the greatest testimonies that you that they had a mother and father who loved Jesus than maybe any other time. And then finally, though, This is the best part. A biblical worldview lets us know that we can have peace because, yes, this sin and brokenness will not get the final word for God's people. A biblical worldview of sin and brokenness is that this world is not God's intention, but this world is not the only world that will ever be, that it is temporary. The Bible speaks in Revelation chapter 21 verses 3 through 4 about the day when God comes and wipes the slate away and He starts afresh and anew with His people and those who are redeemed. And this is what it says. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and He will dwell among them and they shall be His people and God Himself will be among them and He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain for the first things have passed away. Man, I got my heart happy in Jesus this last week thinking about sin and brokenness, but thinking about for believers, brokenness has an expiration date. Brokenness has a definitive date where it ends. And I got to thinking about that old hymn that says this, There is coming a day when no heartache shall come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. Let's give Jesus a big hand this morning.